Hello, I'm Deepak Bhatt from Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School, reporting live from acc.org. I'm at the European Society of Cardiology in Paris, the World Cardiology Congress as well. It's, it's both this year. Uh, and I'm joined by my good friend, Professor Gabriel Steg from the University of Paris and Chief of Cardiology at Hôpital Bichat. So we are here to discuss the final days, trials, and other stuff that we found particularly interesting. And uh, don't be hurt if we're not covering your study. It's just a finite amount of time we've got here. Uh, some of it's a bit random. Some of it's a bit what we got to read because people actually sent us stuff on time ahead of time. And uh, let's start off with you. What do you think was interesting from today? Well, there were a, a really a number of studies that were quite impressive. One of the most striking ones was popular genetics. Oh, yeah. It's a Dutch study that's looking at the um, antipathetic therapy post-primary PCI for STEMI patients. And the hypothesis that the authors had is that if you do genotype-guided clopidogrel therapy in which you test patients for good responders and switch uh, those poor responders to more intensive antipathetic therapy, you might get away with as effective and maybe safer therapy than using prasugrel or ticagrelor in everybody. And they tested that in close to 2,500 patients. And what they found is, indeed, the genotype-guided therapy reduced bleeding compared to using ticagrelor or prasugrel. It was largely ticagrelor, 90% ticagrelor uh, in the conventional arm. But what's more surprising is that they found actually a better outcome for the genotype-guided therapy compared to the conventional therapy where ticagrelor or prasugrel were used routinely. Um, I, I really can't totally understand why outcomes were better. may have to do with maybe poor adherence to a BID drug such as ticagrelor or the dyspnea related to ticagrelor, but I think it's quite striking and this is an, an important study. And it's not the first study to find this. There was already a German study in the Lancet last year that had quite similar findings, so I think it's uh, raising the possibility that genotype-guided therapy or genotype-guided de-escalation in some patients might be one way forward to improve the benefit-risk ratio of antiplatelet therapy. Yeah, it, it, it's challenging. Well done trial, important for sure. But you know, there are some discordant signals in the literature. Of course, you and I were part of the charisma genetics study where we didn't find clear value of genotyping in that context, a signal just for helping detect a higher rate of increased bleeding. But other than that, there really wasn't much. Cure and active as well with clopidogrel. Uh, not clearly showing the value of clopidogrel genotyping, but maybe in this context, picking one antiplatelet versus another uh, as opposed to uh, placebo comparisons, maybe that's why it, it, it is uh, seemingly showing some sort of benefit. But, you know, I'll mention that there's a, a large NIH-funded study uh, being run by the Mayo Clinic, Taylor PCI, that's still ongoing looking at genotyping and its value. So I'd say, you know, let's wait and see what that shows, and then you know, it's a bunch of trials. Let's put it all together and figure out what the right thing to do is. What else struck your fancy here? Well, there was Entrust AF. Oh, good one, yes. Uh, this is the fourth trial looking at direct oral anticoagulation combination with antiplatelet therapy in patients with AFib and PCI. And I think it adds to the body of evidence. It's somewhat consistent with the previous trials. Um, what the investigators found is that an adoxaben-based strategy was actually non-inferior to a vitamin K-based uh, strategy, uh, reduced bleeding. So that's interesting. It was a slightly smaller trial than Augustus and Redual PCI, um, but I think it, it really confirms the evidence we have now. I think triple therapy is dead. Whenever we have a choice 
between vitamin K antagonist and direct oral anticoagulants. In these patients, we should presumably prefer direct oral anticoagulants, even if only for safety. And uh, we probably want to discontinue antiplatelet therapy quite early to minimize bleeding in these high-risk patients. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, the uh, Renato Lopez-John Alexander meta-analysis in JAMA cardiology sort of already told us this, but it's good to have more data. And this is a doxaban-specific, which is important. You know, certain regions of the world, East Asia in particular, there's a fair amount of use of a doxaban as, as a NOAC. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really useful data. Uh, anything else that you think we ought to cover? Well, the last one I would mention was a uh, troponin, a high-sensitivity troponin rapid protocol for triaging patients with MI right. called, uh, I think it's rapid, rapid TNT. TNT. It's yeah. a, an Australian study led by Derek Chu and the SAMRI folks uh, in Adelaide. In and what they tested is they compared the conventional triage system with a zero to three hours mm -hmm. uh, measurements to a rapid triage system at one hour using high-sensitivity troponin. And there are good news here. When you look at death and MI at 30 days, the two arms fare equally better. So a one-hour protocol is non clearly non-inferior uh, and, and certainly more practical uh, than uh, the uh, conventional three-hour protocol. There are some uh, details that might be a little more worrisome. The rates of MI were increased in the group that underwent the early protocol the quicker protocol and the use of investigations, particularly invasive investigations, was was higher. So I think we need to look at uh, the data, the study uh, data in more detail. And there are other studies that are studying the exact same issue. So it'll be interesting to confront uh, the the results overall. But I think really good news to point out that we might be using shorter triage protocols uh, in in many places of the world. Yeah, very useful data. You know, I think the applicability will depend in part on the regions of the world. I mean, in some places, in the U.S., for example, there'd be very little tolerance if there's any excess MI with a strategy. Here, there's a little bit of excess MI uh, with the more rapid rollout. So, you know, but in other regions of the world, that might be acceptable for the cost and, and uh, efficiency uh, savings that occur. So, uh, I think, you know, more studies will be useful, but this is really a, a nice one adding to this growing literature that we can probably discharge a proportion of patients even earlier than we are right now. Well, it's been a wonderful day and a wonderful ESC, I should say. I've got to congratulate the organizing committee, the co-chairs. This year have done a spectacular job putting together a fun meeting, uh, full of educational content, full of lots of late-breaking trial and registry results, lots of good basic science. We didn't really cover a lot of it, but, but really good stuff there, too. Uh, any final comments for our audience back home? Well, we hope to see you at the next year's ESC, because this, this year's was so spectacular. If it keeps going the direction it's going, <laughs> I think next year is going to be even better. So see you next year at ESC. Well, thank you to all of you at home. It is really uh, wonderful that uh, you are there taking care of patients and, and allowing those of us that have traveled to ESC to spend some time here learning. And hopefully we can bring that learning back to you in part through ACC.org. Thank you so much.